both guys sang this morning, and I know they were kind of last-minute solo fill-ins, and they sang old songs that we all know, but man, they were good today. I appreciate that. Job chapter 1. We're going to jump right in. We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study tonight. Is that okay? Oh, no. You're like, great. Right? We did this in Sunday school this morning, and they weren't awake for about half of it. I had to bring out a large sword and threaten people, and they still didn't wake up. Um, I'm going to bring candy next week, okay? All right, good. Chocolate, okay. I got you. I got you. I didn't say it was going to be good chocolate, but I might bring some. Hey, the book of Job. Um, the last, I don't know, 16, 17 years, the book of Job has kind of taken on a slightly new meaning for our family. It, it, if you've had any, we've had a bunch of special speakers come in and stuff, and they, you've heard it. They kind of refer to my dad as like, you know, a modern day Job, a ministry of suffering. You, you've heard people walk in and kind of say that kind of stuff. I kind of hate that analogy, and we're going to look at why for just a little bit tonight. If you're with me in Job chapter 1, we actually, when we're studying the book of Job, we typically only focus on a handful of verses. This book is 42 chapters long, and we only look at like 10 or 12 verses in reality. We look at verse 1, and there was a, a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and here's where we focus. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. It's a descriptor of Job, and by the way, a description that we should strive to have for ourselves, by the way. Fear God and eschewed evil, okay? But we focus on that. Then we'll drop down and we'll focus on verse 5 maybe once in a while, on the, especially the end of verse 5. Thus did Job continually talking about how he made sacrifice and prayed on behalf of his children. Moms and dads, we should be doing that on a daily basis, if not all the time throughout the day, praying that God keeps a hedge of protection around our children. We okay? We focus on that. Then we'll, a lot of times, most of the time when we hear the book of Job brought up, we focus on verses 6 through 12, where Satan and God have this conversation, and God's like, hey, have you checked out Job? He's cooler than you. You can't get to him. And God, Satan's like, well, it's because you're protecting him. Take away the protection, I'll mess him up. And God says, all right, fine, let's, let's go. By the way, you realize God never takes a bet he can't win. Satan didn't know that because he's not all-knowing. God, are, We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. God already knows the end of the story. So Satan's like, ha, I might have got you here, God. And he's like, are you kidding me? I already wrote that part. I know what's happening here. Then we get into, and that's, that's where... We get into verses uh, 13 through basically the end of chapter 1, where all of Job's life falls apart. The end of verse 21, or actually t near the tail end, that famous portion there, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. We talk about that. We talk about Mrs. Job. We don't know her name, so she's just Mrs. Job to most of us. In chapter 2, look at verse 9. And then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. We give Mrs. Job, by the way, a bad rap a lot of times. You realize she lost all her kids the same day. She lost access to all of her wealth the same day. Mama bear kicks in when your kids are in trouble, right? Could you imagine losing 10 of them in a single calendar day in the same event? Moms, where would you be? Curse God and die is a pretty realistic, applicable thing here. But we give her a bad rap. Then, if you've actually taken the time to study through the book of Job, from chapter 3, the tail end of chapter 2, chapter 3, through about chapter 41, Job has three of the worst friends in the history of the world show up. They basically, dude, you screwed something up. 
dude. And they throw out all this Bible principle, which, by the way, is solid Bible principle. But the entire time for what is that? 38, 39 chapters. You should do this while never once applying that truth to themselves. Do as I say, not as I do. And Job's friends are pretty screwed up. At the last little bit, I believe it's chapters 40 and 41, Job and God have an argument. And God has to prove who he is to Job. And it's the one thing we can kind of knock Job for is at some point during all of this going on, he realized, I must be pretty good for God to allow this to happen. And there's an ounce of pride. Read through the book of Job. If you haven't done so recently, that's your homework. Read through the book of Job. He had at least a little bit of pride right there because chapters 40 and 41, God just kind of shows off a little bit. He's allowed to do that, isn't he? He's the creator of all things. He said The Bible tells us if we won't sing his praises, what will? The rocks, which means he considers us, by the way, dumb as a box of rocks. Just thought I'd throw that out there. I, yeah, that was a dad joke for you. You're welcome. Mr. Ron's not speaking, so I got to make up for the lack of dad jokes, okay? He's the king, by the way, of dad jokes. He became a dad very recently, but just he has amassed all the dad jokes in the history of ever. It's probably a top 10 list somewhere, okay? But then we get into, if you turn with me, actually, Job chapter 42 this is where we kind of forget about what, how Job's story ends. We're going to look at the end of the story, and then we're going to backtrack just a little bit, okay? Uh, my mom, when she first married my dad, my mom was not a very avid reader. Um, mom was uh, from that chunk of public school in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, where they stopped teaching phonics for the first time. Um, and, and just, she would have told you this, she wasn't a great reader. Well, my dad's an avid reader still reads six seven books at a time he can like pick one up put it down and he knows exactly where he's at and all of those well because of him mom started getting into reading but my mom always cheated she read the first chapter and then she'd skip ahead and read the last chapter to see if she liked the ending to determine whether or not she read the rest of the you can't do that. That's like watching the last five minutes of a movie to see if it ends well to determine the, the other hour and a half. That's cheating. Well, we're going to cheat tonight. Are we okay? All right. So Job's end here, uh, if we jump to verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than, the, than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. So he's blessed more at the end than he was at the beginning, but I don't want to focus on all of the stuff we normally focus on. Go back to chapter one with me. Told you, it's a little bit of a Bible study. Has anybody in here ever done the math on how rich Job was? Look at the end of verse, uh, let's see here, end of verse three. So that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. If you read chapter 3, it literally starts with his substance. Greatest men in the East is literally referring to how much money he had. Dude was rich. Let's break that down for a minute, shall we? Okay? We have the list here. He's got seven sons and three daughters. By the way, those are listed before his stuff. Because your family is more important than your stuff. I know deep thought right there, but your family's more important than your stuff. How do we know that? Because the Bible says so. 
Okay, moving on. He's got 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. In a typical yoke, how many animals do you have? Two. So 500 times two is 1,000. A few of you just pulled your calculator out to try to figure that out. Okay. He's got 500 she-asses or donkeys. And then the Bible goes on to say a very great household. Does anybody know what that would have included? Servants and staff. You realize that's a lot of animals. That's over, a, that's a somewhere near 12,000 animals he's got. Carla, you think I have too many, hey? Goals right here. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna have, you know, Job Zoo in our backyard. I don't actually like sheep or camels or oxen or donkeys or people. So I'm, maybe not, all right? But let's break this down for just a minute. I'm not gonna spend a huge amount of time on this. I'm gonna lie to you once. I'm, I don't plan on being long. Okay, get that out of the way. Now we can move forward. 7,000 sheep. The average sheep cost about 200 bucks a piece. The average sheep also needs about one-tenth of an acre of land per day to graze on. Per day. A sheep will clear about a tenth of an acre of grass and they will demolish it down to the dirt per day. And he's got 7,000 of them. Here's the one unique part about this. 7,000 sheep, and I actually spent a lot of time weirdly Googling this. Take a wild guess how many shepherds would be required to take care of 7,000 sheep on average? Seven. Seven. Sheep are dumb. By the way, God compares us to sheep a lot in the Bible. That's not a compliment, okay? But seven. Shepherds. Now, that is at a bare minimum, but on average, especially in the ancient world, they would consider one shepherd for a thousand sheep. That was that was common number. That kind of messed with my head a little bit. That's a lot of animals for one human being there. Okay. Camels. He had three thousand camels. A camel currently costs fifty-five thousand dollars a piece. Guys, that's a BMW. You could buy a hairy BMW. Why you would, I don't know. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if this was a one-hump or two-hump camel. Um, there is actually a difference in price. One-hump camels are more expensive. I don't know why. I actually looked that up, couldn't figure it out. Okay? A camel needs a minimum of two acres of land each per day for grazing. Okay? So that's around 6,000 acres for the camels and about 700 acres for the sheep. And again, that's on a per day basis. Now the camels need a whole lot more people. You need at least 300 servants or staff to take care of 3,000 camels. So now the number of human beings involved has jumped massively. The oxen, we've got 1,000 oxen, correct? 500 yoke of oxen. A, an average ox is about $3,000 or so a piece. And they require, and this, this one was a little harder to deal with, because I tried to plan this number based on how many acres of land a yoke of oxen could plow in a day, as opposed to how much they need to eat. Are we okay? Because the whole point of yoke of oxen is to plow arable land to plant crops. Sound like a viable thought here? Each yoke of oxen could go through about 15 acres of land per day. He's got 500 yoke of oxen. That's also 500 people. It takes one person to run one yoke of oxen. 
Very detailed math here. Are we keeping up so far? We're on a one-to-one -one on the cows, okay? All right. And then the donkeys here. He's got 5, 000, or 500 of them. They sell for about $2,500 each, and they need about a half an acre of grass or hay, some type of land like that per donkey per day, so about 250 or so acres, and that requires about 20 servants and staff. We've already talked about his family. He's got seven sons, three daughters, and the Bible actually talks about this if you went to uh, verse 4 with me. Verse 4, and his sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them, giving us the indication that each of his seven sons has their own house, and they just take turns having dinner at each other's house every day. Which, by the way, gives us an indication. Job and Mrs. Job did a good job raising their kids because their kids liked each other as adults to the point where they wanted to voluntarily spend time with one another on a daily basis. I don't even like Anna half the time. It's a joke. Calm down. A few of you just got really offended. <gasps> She's pregnant. I know. It's okay. All right? But does give us an indication of his family, by the way. And if you take verse 5 into account, how he prayed and sacrificed on behalf of his children, it kind of tells you why his family loved each other and loved, them, loved each other so much and wanted to spend time together. Because Job and his wife had done something right here. But Job's got a lot of stuff. He's got nearly 12,000 animals. He's got this massive staff that would have been somewhere between, and this is a minimum, between 800 and 1,000 servants and staff. That's just to take care of his animals. That's not counting everything else. And the Bible does tell us he had a very great household. Does that make sense? We're keeping up so far. I know. A lot of numbers, a lot of stuff. I'm going somewhere with it, okay? That also puts his total land holdings at about 11,000 acres just to feed his livestock on a daily basis and over 7,500 plowable acres minimum for his oxen. So he's at just under 20,000 acres minimum. This guy's got a massive operation going on here. Farmland, does anybody know the average cost of an acre of farmland in America today? Weirdly cheap. It's about $3,000 an acre for farmland. That's also in the middle of nowhere. I Googled that. You're talking like Wyoming, where there's more buffalo than people, okay? That's an actual statistic. There are currently more buffalo than people in the state of Wyoming. They also just banned electric cars in Wyoming. Yeah. How many... Wyoming sounding pretty good right now? Cool. All right. They also have open carry laws there. And less crime. Go figure. Huh. Weird. It's also because <laughs> buffaloes don't rob your house. So just putting that in perspective for you, okay? All right? What this means, if we do all the math, add this up, and he's got about 800 to 1,000 servants and staff, and the Bible does tell us that he's a man that fears God and eschews evil, giving us some idea that Job probably took care of his staff. Are we Okay. In modern-day money, all of this stuff adds up to put Job's total net worth at somewhere between 280 and $300 million. Does anybody know when? Brother Rob mentioned a chronological Bible this morning. Does anybody know when the book of Job is thought to have actually taken place in the whole timeline of your Bible? Say that again? We're talking pre-flood, more than likely. The book of Job is considered one of the two oldest written manuscripts in the entire world on par with the Epic of Gilgamesh, which tells of a worldwide flood. 
if you adjust for inflation of about 5,000 years at an average of 3.31% times time, that's a 16,550% increase, which means Job's net worth was $4.6 quadrillion. <laughs> Greatest of all the men in the East. We don't ever actually think about the perspective of what Job is about to lose in chapter 1. We don't, we don't actually genuinely think about this. I'm pretty sure none of us are at that level. If you are, you're tithing so little right now, we need to have a chat afterwards because we need some upgrades, okay? But if you join me, we're going to actually read through a couple chunks of Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 here together. And I want to get some perspective and we're going to move forward. Look at verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. We talked about that already. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. How many burnt offerings was Job offering on a daily basis at that point? Seamus got it, 10. Good job. That's Christian school education right there. Right? He's offering 10 sacrifices every morning on behalf of his kids. Job was trying to do right. You realize this is an era where church didn't exist? Job didn't have a physical written copy of the word of God. You realize literally all Job had was oral tradition handed down from the likes of Adam and Eve and Seth. Do right, love God, offer sacrifices. That's the extent of what he knew of God. But he did right. To the point where God actually calls him perfect and upright. Guys, we have the entire layout of exactly what God expects of us and what he wants us to do, and we can't even get that title of perfect and upright. We can't even get the upright, let alone perfect. Just let that sink in for a second. Let's keep reading here. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Pastor tells us all the time that when God repeats himself, it's for emphasis. You realize that Job is described very quickly in verse 1 as a man that was perfect, upright, one that feared God and escheweth evil, and then God himself repeats that phrase, giving us an indication to the true character that this man has. Can you imagine of all the people that are on the earth at this particular point in time, and we cannot pinpoint exactly when Job lived, but he must have been, at minimum, about eight generations removed from Adam. And if you actually read through some of the genealogies of the Bible, those people had a lot of kids. They also lived for like hundreds of years and had a lot of kids. There was probably somewhere around one to 200 million people on earth during Job's day. We don't think about that. And God saying out of all of them, have you seen that one? And Satan knew who he was. You ever thought about that? Satan's smart enough 
he, he knows some things, but he's been, the Bible tells us, going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down. He's looking. He's trying to find somebody to pester, someone to nag, someone to ruin their life, someone, actually, some, someone he could get to ruin their own life and get away from God. God says, have you checked out Job? And Satan knows who he is. Verse nine, then Satan answered the Lord and said, doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou... Uh, hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. And Satan's like, well, haven't you been good to him? Brother Rob talked about that this morning. You take up your cross and God will bless you. You do what you're supposed to do and God will bless you. Read through your Bible. There's all kinds of promises. Do right, blessings flow. Satan's calling God out on that. Well, you're just being nice to him. All right, so look at verse 11. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. That little phrase right there, I have that underlined in my Bible. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. I'm a comic book nerd, and I kind of view this as this is Satan's joker moment. He just, he just flies out of heaven laughing his head off thinking, I'm going to win this one. He's this evil genius thinking, I got God on this one. I'm going to, oh, this is, and he can think of all the horrible things he's already planning, things he's going to do here. And then we jump right into what Satan starts with. And there was a day. That's key right there. All of what's about to happen between verses 13 and 19 happen in a single day. And there was a day. How many of you, you can pinpoint at any moment what you would probably consider the worst day you've experienced. There's at, most of us have at least one. There's, just, there's always one that stands out above the rest. Can I say this while being kind to your situation? I don't think any of our days match up to Job's. Not even close. Let's read about this day. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Okay, the first one here, you've got, um, the Sabians coming out and taking over the oxen and the donkeys and killing off all the servants. But this second one, could you imagine that scene? Fire starts falling from heaven and burns up your flock of 7,000 sheep. Guys, that's an insane moment right there. And this guy is coming in to tell him about it, which means he's likely covered in soot and ashes and probably burn marks. He's exhausted. And while, the Bible says, and while he was yet speaking, verse 17, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. 
While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. In one day, verse 13, and there was a day. In one day, Job's lost all ten of his kids. In one single accident. He has lost his multi hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fortune in a day. He's also lost what the Bible called a very great household. Because all of those servants that would have been needed to take care of those animals, according to this passage, how many of them are left? Four. Four. Job's reduced. By the way, there's nothing in, in anything in here, by the way, that Job was homeless. His home is never mentioned. Just a weird little side note. A whole bunch of other stuff got destroyed, but he never, never went completely homeless. Why? Because God never leaves us completely forsaken. Ever. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Job's never, his home specifically is never once mentioned in here, but he has lost everything. He went from the greatest man in the East to nobody. To a nothing. He's got no money. He's got no stuff. Worst of all, he's got no family left in a single day. But look at Job's response. Verse 20, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. The rent his mantle and shaved his head. That's a physical sign of mourning. Do you think he's mourning the loss of his sheep, his camels? donkeys no he's mourning the loss of his kids and his workers his people because he possibly not just 10 children he might have lost upwards of a thousand human beings that day that he was responsible for and he worshiped he worshiped and said naked came i out of my mother's womb and naked shall i return thither the lord gave and the lord hath taken away blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job's not done anything wrong. In fact, at the end of this day, this one day, God, you're still good. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is always good. I, I can almost guarantee you, we've never had a day like Job. Not even close. And his response is, God is always good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of us, that's our viable response to when things fall apart on us? When the world starts to crumble around us? Thank you, God. We might say it, but how many of us actually believe it? You know this. Saying something and believing it are two very different things. We're going to jump right in here to the very end of the book of Job. Go back with me to Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. Job has three friends that show up in Job chapter 2. We already talked about this. His wife even says, curse God and die. Again, I think we give her a bad rap. 
she was mourning the loss just like her husband had. Maybe the grief just overtook her. We don't know. She's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. We know that she must have continued to exist because they have more kids. And it's never mentioned that Job remarries at any point. So we're just, we have to assume that that's the same lady. Are we okay? But Job goes on and his friends show up. And they, they're not great friends. They actually sat there for seven days just staring at him. We think about that, and you read through that in the end of chapter 2, and you're like, man, that must have been weird. You do realize in the ancient world, seven days was actually a normal grieving period for somebody who lost their family members. So his friends showing up and just sitting there not saying anything while he grieved for seven days was oddly normal. Right? But other than that one moment, you do know there's no other indication in anything else in the book of Job as far as the timeline. We know that there was a day that he lost everything. And we have to assume that it must have been the next day that his wife says, curse God and die, because the Bible also tells us that's when his friends showed up and they're there for seven days. So, so far in Job's whole timeline, we are given indication of eight days. Are we okay so far? And then Job has this discourse back and forth with God at the tail end of the book. And this is where things get a little bit interesting. In chapter 1, Job lost his household. We saw that in verses 13 and 19. He lost his holdings. This is alliterated, Brother Rob. You are welcome. He lost his holdings in verses 14 through 18. In chapter 2, Job lost his health in verses 7 and 8. He lost his help. His wife was his helpmeet and his friends. He lost his help in verses 9 and 10. And then his friends there... And he is brought to the lowest point in his life, and his friends only make the situation worse. And somehow, throughout all of this, Job somehow gets the idea that he must be good enough to handle this, and some level of pride sets in. Think about us. We, we knock him for that. But when we're at our lowest, especially guys, we don't like to ask for help. Why? Because I can handle this. The old trope that guys don't ask for directions. We just get more lost. Thank God for GPS because now we don't have to claim that anymore. But guys, we when it doesn't matter what's happening. We like to dig ourselves into a deeper hole. Why? Because I can handle this. And Job has that kind of that same attitude and God brings him down. And then we get into Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord. Look at verse 1 and said, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. He's finally acknowledged. I didn't get it at first. Things too wonderful for me. This was beyond me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. God, I need an answer. And I think I finally figured out the answer. And here's verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Job needed to learn a lesson. Most of us in this room are visual learners. We can talk all day long. I, I, teachers, those of us that have, have, had, have had the opportunity to stand in front of a classroom, whether it's Sunday school or in a school setting, or even at work where you've had to try to teach somebody else how to do something. You can explain something over and over and over and over and over again, and they'll just stare at you. The drool starts coming out. And that's adults, okay? It's, it's pretty terrible. But a lot of us, if someone shows us how to do something, it clicks. 
Job's acknowledging in verse 5, I had heard all of this about you, God. You realize, remember, Job's only ever learned about God through oral tradition. There was no word of God. There was no church. I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Job's acknowledging I'm a visual learner, and I had a big lesson to learn, but I've learned it here. In Job 42, Job finally starts to gain some ground again. Chapter 1, he lost. What? He lost his household and his holdings. Chapter 2, he lost his health and his help. In Job 42, Job starts to gain. First off, he gains some learning. That's what we saw in verses 4, 5, and 6. He gained some learning. He had to learn that as good and as righteous as he thought he was, that he would never measure up to God. Friends, we will never measure up to God. He loves us in spite of us. We will never be good enough to get to heaven. We will never be good enough for God. That's why we have to put our faith and trust in him. That's why we have to do what's right. That's why we have to, the Bible says, striving unto perfection. We're not gonna get there, but we can do everything in our power to try on a daily basis. Why? Because God is always good. Because God loved us enough to send his son to save us in spite of who and what we are. Isn't that an amazing thought right there? That alone should be enough to drive us to do right and to do what God wants us to do for life, but unfortunately it's not. God also chooses to bless us when we do right. He's got a reward system. I'm on the Duncan Rewards. Anybody else? Hey, you earning your free coffee? They rewrote their rewards program about a month ago, and it's garbage now. You have to spend like $9,000 to get a free coffee. It should, well, I mean, I'm going to anyway, so I might as well get my free coffee out of it. But God's reward system beats Duncan, and it beats Shell, and it beats American Express and City and all the because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine, and all he asks is love me and do right. You do realize all of that boils down to love me and do right, all of it. But we fail at those two things half the time. Job also gains, and I alliterated this and I had to stretch. Okay, I'm apologizing right up front. He gains land and lambs. You like that? Okay, I know, it's really lame. I'm so sorry. Okay, if you would uh, look at me here, at, uh, join with me in verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. There came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all that they that had been his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. This is where we have the indication he never lost his house. By the way, where was his family and friends before this event? You ever thought about that for a split second? They finally show up at the very, very end. You do realize, even at life's worst, you can't always count on family, but you can always count on God. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a... God's always there. Just thought I'd throw that out there. And there came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So God starts bringing a little bit back into Job's coffers here. It doesn't indicate how many friends, how many family members showed up or to the 
extent of what these pieces of money were like. But Job apparently used his money wisely. Look at verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And we're going to read the rest of the chapter in just a moment, but bear with me. I already told you, based on the math, Job's total value at the time would have been in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and now, some point afterwards, and we have to, by the way, estimate this had to have been close to 10 years afterwards. Why? Because he had 10 more kids. That takes a little bit of time. Okay? The world record uh, is one mom had eight kids at one time. They were also born at about two and a half pounds each and spent the first four months of their life in NICU. They didn't have that in Job's time. So we're guessing he had probably one baby at a time here. So we've got nine to ten years. Are we okay that they've had kids and Job's fortune has been rebuilt? And God gives Job something that I'm pretty sure most of us would have loved to have. A second chance. Realize, we talked about this at the beginning of chapter one. Job's family must have been pretty good because all of his kids wanted to spend time together. In Job 42, Job does things different. Why? Because he's got a second chance at raising his kids. Look with me at verse 13. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karen Hapuch. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Chapter 1, all of the brothers, all of his sons had their own houses. Chapter 42, we're given the indication that now his daughters are included in that list. Read through your Bible. Ladies, unfortunately, you didn't get the same treatment guys did in the ancient world. But Job changed that precedent and did something very unique. By the way, his daughter's names are specific. Jemima literally translates to the word dove. Kezia to cinnamon, and Karen Hapuk to horn of antimony, which was used as eyeshadow. In the ancient world, you were given a name based on your personality. His first one was peaceful, a dove. Cinnamon, this girl was spicy. I have one of those. And the last one, horn of antimony or eyeshadow, she was high maintenance. <laughs> I mean, that's a valid way to describe that right there, isn't it? But the Bible then, I just personally, I'm reading through this, and I feel like the fact that Job's daughters, you realize out of all 20 of his kids, Job's daughters are the only ones named the second time around. How many of us would love a second chance on parts of our lives? Absolutely love it. Job got that, and he took full advantage of that, and he did what was right. Let me boil all of this down to a simple thought. Job suffered attacks on his family, on his fortune, on his frailty, his own health. He also suffered attacks by his family. Remember his wife, curse God and die, and by his friends. There were five different levels of attack that Job suffered in one short span of time. I can, I believe, safely state at any given moment, none of us are suffering from all five attacks on all five levels. But we get attacked on any one of those levels. Somebody attacks our family. Oh, it's one of those Job moments. No, it's not. It's not even close. 
I don't think God trusts us enough to handle a Job moment. I just, I don't. I know God doesn't trust me enough to give me a Job moment. So here's where it gets to the challenge, and I, it, it, it's, it's incredibly simple. It's incredibly simple. If you got the chance today to have a second chance to start over, how would you do it different? How would you do it different? Because if I've read my Bible, once we're saved, we are a new creature. You got a second chance. Aren't his mercies new every morning? Tomorrow's a second chance to do something right you didn't do today. And you know what? Tomorrow you might fail at something you didn't fail today. But Tuesday's a new chance. He's the God of the second chance. How many times did he tell Peter you're supposed to forgive? Seven times 70. If you're obnoxious enough to keep an actual list of 490 times to forgive somebody, you need to check yourself because God's about to wreck yourself. But quite literally, how many times has God forgiven you and given you a new chance and a new chance and a new chance we act like we make a bad decision and, oh, no, God's, God's trying to test me like Job. No, you just made a bad decision. And you reap what you sow. That's not a Job moment. But tomorrow, you have the chance to be perfect and upright. Fear God and eschew evil. Say you screw one of those four up. Tuesday's a new day. Wednesday's another new day. Thursday's another new day. Mom, dad, we screwed up with our kids. And congratulations, anybody who's had kids has done that. Tomorrow's a new day. Well, my kids are grown. You got grandkids? Tomorrow's a new day. By the way, the ones that are grown, we still listen to you more than you think we do. Tomorrow's a new day. Today's the Lord's day. We're in church. We're focused on the Bible but will you have that same level of focus and intuitive attention to what God's got for you tomorrow when you're busy? Tomorrow's a new day. Job got something we all wish we could have, but God's given us the exact same experience as Job, that there's a second chance and a third and a fourth. So what are we gonna do with it? We, as modern Christians, we take that liberty that God's given us we use it to do a lot of horrible things. Well, I've got, I've got spiritual liberty. <laughs> I feel like that's abusing God's second chances. He's a long-suffering God, but at some point, you're going to have to pay the bill for your bad choices. So it boils down to one thing. Tomorrow's a new day. You're going to be perfect, upright. You're going to fear God, eschew evil. Can tomorrow be the day you and I get to live like Job? Enoch is one of my favorite examples of this. You realize at some point, Enoch, who, by the way, was likely a contemporary of Job, God just thought, you know what? I can bring you straight to heaven. You realize how well Enoch must have lived for God to just like, all right, dude, this, is, this conversation's great. How about we just take this back to my house for a while? And he's been there for 5,000 plus years hanging out with God. 
that should be our goal on a daily basis. Tomorrow morning you wake up, God, let today be the day I get to live like Enoch and Job. God, let today be that day. You screw up tomorrow, because you will. Tuesday, today, God, let today be that day. What are you gonna do with the second chance God gives you every single morning? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for being the God of second chances.